0: You're listening to Missing Panther.
1: long tails. It moves like a cat. It was
2: huge. The panther that I saw back in 96
3: is bigger than my current dog. And, and I'm absolutely convinced that that's what it was that I saw.
4: It's not something that every kid sees every day, a lion walking through the schoolyard.
3: Well, you wouldn't know what we saw this morning we saw a black panther.
5: It jumped from two and a quarter lanes to the median strip and then straight in front of me to the other side. It had to be a panther. It was, it was
6: huge, it was black. But amazingly, a truck left Sydney with seven lines and arrived in Perth with six.
2: Officers were, you know, rushing out of the station with big guns and, the, you know, their the black overalls on. You know, he told me that, the, you know, a was on the loose. I got the phone call that a lioness had escaped from the circus. To be honest, I thought they were winding me up.
5: There's been many theories over the years to explain the sightings. It could be an escaped circus animal or even a one-time exotic pet.
0: There are lots of theories about why the panthers are here. One is that panthers escaped from a circus way back in the day. It's not an absurd theory. I've actually spoken to a circus owner probably about five or six years ago now who actually admitted to me that he had lost a big cat in the Australian bush. When word got out, I was on the search for people who believed they'd seen a panther or a big cat, my inbox became flooded with stories, some happy to chat on the record, some just wanting to share the experience. The one thing I noticed that many of these witnesses had in common, whether a sceptic or a believer in the beginning, was that their experience had changed them, a new obsession was born, all having the same recurring thoughts. What was it that I saw? Could it be this fabled big cat they all speak of? So many of these witnesses went on to do their own research on big cats in Australia, not only for their own interest, but to put to rest any thoughts they may have had that they were going crazy. So, it was only wise that I picked their brains on what they'd uncovered so far. The story of US servicemen bringing Pumas and Panthers as mascots to Australia in World War II seemed to hold a lot of weight according to most, and having it supported by the Puma study, conducted by the Deakin University, made it a hell of a lot more plausible. Being ordered to put down the very big cats that represented their fighting units seemed like bad karma for the US troops, not to mention that these were their beloved pets who kept them company throughout a traumatic time in their lives. It made absolute sense that these big cat mascots were released in secret right across the country. But this wasn't the only theory for the arrival of big cats to our shores. Some believe that these panthers were fugitives from a circus or a zoo. I have to be honest, the whole idea of a big cat escaping from a circus, making for the hills to start a new life, seemed more like an urban legend, or perhaps even a story you'd read to your kids at night. But with so many people convinced of this as a possibility, it was worth checking out. Flicking through old news articles, I've found stories of circus escapes dating back to the 1800s. The lucky ones would get caught up in giant cast nets and dragged back to their cage, but the not so lucky were shot dead on the spot. On the 23rd of February, 1914, it's 8am in Melbourne when a 17-year-old girl goes outside to see what's disturbing some fowls in her garden, only to be confronted by a leopard. The big cat leapt towards the poor girl who fainted and somehow remained unharmed. The leopard, which had escaped from the Melbourne Zoological Gardens, was later shot and killed. The 13th of September, 1950. As family and friends of Bondi watch the amazing lion show from the traveling circus, the fun stops within seconds as the lion jumps into the crowd. As everyone panicked and ran for the exits, the lion was eventually lassoed by ropes and put back in the cage. The stories were endless and left me with too many questions, so I knew this was an avenue I really needed to explore. So I went looking for stories on the topic to see what can go wrong in zoos and circuses for escapes to happen. Strangely, my research brought me to Broken Hill of all places. Deep in the far west of New South Wales, Broken Hill sits on the edge of the desert. It's also the gateway to a part of the country that's so dry and isolated that many explorers in the past who dared to enter never returned. On a sleepy Sunday afternoon in March of 1997, an off-duty police officer, Mark, was about to nestle in and enjoy the rest of his day off when he received a call. A call that will go on to be one he'll never forget.
2: Well, look, I, I was actually at home. It was, a from memory, it was a Sunday afternoon. I'd mowed on the lawns and cleaned the pool and stuff, and I, I was about to have a beer, and I got the phone call that uh, a lioness that had escaped from the circus. And they said, look, Bish, you've been um, activated. I was in a unit called uh, the State Protection Support Unit, which we were a, a country unit attached to the State Protection Group in Sydney. And part of that role was dealing with uh, high-risk incidents. And to be honest, I thought they were winding me up. She'd been released from the circus by a 14-year-old kid. Now, where the circus was was on a a series of cricket ovals. Adjoining them was a series of soccer ovals, which had an embankment with saltbush. When the circus people became aware the lioness had been let out, they put all their circus trucks in an arc Around this embankment with the salt bush. Now the vet, the vet was there actually at the scene before me. i rocked up with a like a, a high powered AR15 rifle. He's actually handed me the tranquilizer and said, "I'm not paid to tranquilize lions. you are. Years ago I heard stories about uh, lionesses and stuff, how they can camouflage themselves in long grass, and uh, I could not see where she was. All we knew was that she was somewhere on this embankment. None of it could be her. The bloke that was in charge of the lines uh, from the circus, he was he was there nearby, and he said he said to me, he said, look, she's more scared of the public and, and people around. Uh, he said she's the tamest one we've got, and um, she she really won't harm anyone unless she really has to. And I, I thought, well. <laughs> You know, she's putting hand, hand, fed and whatever. I thought she'll be all right. So I took, I took the uh, tranquilizer gun. Look, it, it, it is, it's, it's lo- like a normal gun, but it's, um, it's obviously got the dart in it. But the way it fires is with a blank fire cartridge that, that um, compresses the, the air enough to fire the dart. Now the, the dart might only travel, um, 30 metres maybe, at the, at the maximum. Uh, and, and they're highly unstable. They're, they're, they're inaccurate to buggering. I walked with the line tamer um, up onto the embankment and we were searching the, um, the salt bush. No, I couldn't see her. And I remember it had a telescopic sight on it, which wasn't much good in, in any case, but I remember looking through the site and trying to, to um, look at each and every saltbush that I could. And we'd been up there for maybe five or 10 minutes. And um, all I caught was a, a flash going across the site, uh, just a, a just a blur of movement. And what it was was a lioness charging off the side of this embankment. And she, she went straight under one of the carriages that, that was in, like trying to block her in. It's interesting because, you know, you, you would think that once people heard there was an escape line, you would stay at home or stay in your house. But no, Broken Hill people all want to come and see this escape line.
7: <laughs>
2: now, at this stage, there was probably 300 people kids, mothers, fathers, you know, people standing around all wanting to see this lioness either shot or, or tranquilised. Um, so when she charged off the hill and went underneath the carriages, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. People were throwing kids over fences and, and you know, just running and screaming everywhere. Another police officer and I, Steve Gentle, um, we, we chased after her. Um, obviously, we know we near as quick as she was, but we we saw her suddenly do it like a right turn and she ran down a driveway into a a residence there. Now, as she went down the driveway, she ran into the backyard. Now, there were two blokes on the back veranda uh, cooking a barbecue and having a couple of VVs. Next second, this lioness has run past them at a rate of knots further into the backyard. So, of course, they'd panic, drop their beers, and uh, run inside and started ringing triple O and all that sort of stuff. Steve and I went to the next house further on and then crept down along the fence line. And when we got to the the backyard, we sort of, there was a a fence adjoining the yard that she ran into and um, we sort of popped up and had a look over that. And here she was, I don't know, maybe 15 metres, 20 metres away from us and she wasn't happy. She was growling and and carrying on. Steve had the, he uh, had an AR-15 with a 20-round magazine attached to it, and uh, he kept her covered, and I lined her up with the dart gun. Now, I've never fired a dart gun before, so I've lined her up and squeezed the trigger. Nothing happened. So I've checked to make sure that the blank fire cartridge was in there, and I've gone to line her up again and I've worked out that the vet hadn't actually screwed the barrel into the gun all the way. So anyway, I, I screwed that back in and until it actually clicked lock. So anyway, I've come up again onto target and fired off the tranquilizer, which, which hit her in the, in the back or towards the back here. And at this stage, she went aggro. She did maybe 10. Uh, sort of half charges, she'd run towards us, then she'd break, and then she'd back, back herself back into the corner of the adjoining yard. All, all I had was like my my handgun, my um uh, my Glock, and um but Steve had a uh, had his uh, AR fifteen, so he would have been very very close to letting her have it. Interesting story, a line tamer at this stage crawled down to where we were there was a little laneway behind this yard where the lioness was we could hear people in the, lot, in the laneway and the lion tamer says to me if she gets over that fence and into the laneway she said you might as well shoot those people and I said what are you talking about? and he said they will go a horrible painful death if she gets into the laneway and I said you told me she was the tamest one you had, he said that was only to get up on the side of the, the embankment to tranquilise her he said, she will kill you as quick as look at it. So, <laughs> anyway, we waited there for about half an hour and the, um, the tranquilizer didn't seem to take too much effect. So, I, I went back out and found the local vet and he gave me another tranquilizer and we loaded the, the gun up. And I went back in and put another tranquilizer into her. And after about another 15, 20 minutes, she, she finally went to sleep. And she woke up back in her home in the in the circus truck. Realistically, I suppose our job was to ensure that that no one was killed or injured. And if it came to it, we possibly could have had to kill her. And and really, you know, you can't have a a line running around the centre of, like, a a populated area. Like, if she had escaped that backyard, we would have been in big, big trouble. And and really, I I have no doubts that she... There was the, the possibility that she could have killed someone.
0: Mark alerted me to a similar event in Broken Hill 12 years earlier. In 1985, police were called to the edge of town when a road worker came face to face with a lion gnawing on a sheep carcass. Only this time, no one came forward to claim this big cat. Being 1985 and having no easy access to a tranquilizer gun, a young officer was faced with one of the most difficult decisions of his career. To take it out when he had the shot, or risk this unpredictable animal slipping away to the nearby township and unleashing unspeakable horrors. With only moments to think, the officer made his choice. spoke with Alan, the local photojournalist, who was called out to the scene to try and get some photos for Broken Hill's local paper, The Barrier Daily Truth. Alan briefly tells the story as he remembers it.
8: Well, I got the phone call, and he said, get yourself out there, there's a line loose. I said, oh, where the bloody hell did it come from? Nobody knew where it came from. I never ask. I just do, and if the stuff's up, bad luck. But I always go, I'll never question anything and I'll never knock anything back. That's it. Whatever happens, happens. And that, you know, you become a good photographer, a good press person to do that. So I, I shot out there, it was, uh, you yeah, know, a few kilometres out. Next one, pop, off it goes. So when we got there, the cold, here it is, it's dead, It shot through just below the eye. I, I, you know, you being isolated. I, I, I can understand the dilemma they were in. Being isolated, you don't just reach for a reach for a dart gun to put it to sleep. If there's one in the in the town itself that probably would have been one there. So it would have been a dilemma to try and figure out what the hell they were gonna do with it. Yeah, I suppose you, you you know, you can't just pour the bucket over the cops for doing what they did, I suppose in a way. It was just a shame. just just awful. They had to make a decision about something. And it was a line. It wasn't you know, it had bloody claws on it, should have seen it tried to figure out where the closest circus was near there. So we sort of figured somebody must have had it in their backyard and some somewhere like a private zoo. you can't just have a look and not register it. This is what uh, unless you buy it under the under the under the counter, like I reckon this thing was. You don't know what people have got in this country, honestly. There's some weird there. I mean there's uh, in Sebastopol here, there's a guy, I walked in his place one day and he had, he had a crocodile in this bath out the back of his place. It was two and a half bloody metres long. It was slashing around and fighting the shit out of me. And here he is, in, in, in built-up area, like in, in, the, in his house. It was in his house.
0: Although Mark wasn't on duty that day, he remembers the story quite well.
2: Where the culvert was was in the dry creek bed. They couldn't set up um, an enclosure or uh, anything like that. Uh, who's going to walk close enough to, to put netting out, or and wh- where do you get netting at, at Broken Hill to you know capture a line. And at the to- at the time when they found her, she was actually feeding on a sheep cart uh, Even with a dart gun, they would have had to have got too close to her. Um, so. You know, if she had escaped, she could have killed anyone. She could have killed um, any of the local farmers and she may never have been seen again. Who knows? Re- realistically, and, and this is my point of view, um, he had no option. He, he had no option because if that lion had escaped and killed someone, he would have, uh, he would have been the worst in the world and he would have had uh, questions to answer at, at a coroner's court as to why he didn't shoot it. In my opinion, he did what he had to do.
0: I spoke briefly with Tabby, the local vet, who told me in very few words what he'd discovered about this cat a little later on.
6: Oh, yes, yes. Well, no, they never found out where that line is. But amazingly, a truck left Sydney with seven lines and arrived in Perth with six, but that wasn't the line involved. Oh, tra- tra- transporting lines from Sydney to Perth. And obviously one, uh, one, dog, one line there miraculously evaporated on the way and another, lo- another line miraculously did a Doctor Who and ended up in Broken Hill.
0: Just when I thought two escapes in one of Australia's most isolated townships was quite bizarre, Mark goes on to inform of another, which he found in the local historical records.
2: Well, actually there was another one. About 1915, it was another circus in town, and um, a lion got out, and one of the local police sergeants at that time, oh, I can't think of his name, but he um, he tempted the lion back into the, the cage with a, um, a big piece of beef, but that, that's, um, it, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, uh, one town in far western New South Wales has had three. I was actually stationed at Redfern in Sydney. I wanted to get out of Sydney and I think it was the roster sergeant at Redfern said to me, he said, go west young man, you won't regret it.
0: (laughs) The next story takes us all the way to Goulburn, home of the world's largest sheep made of concrete. At 90 years of age, Ollie, a property owner on the edge of Goulburn, tells me her story of a panther she saw in the early days and how she believes it came to be here.
9: It used to be down the railway line and it was there for a while and you used to see it going up and down and that sort of thing. If you walked past it, it'd just lay there and look at you. If you stopped, it'd jump up and take off up the quarry. Well, never took any notice of it sort of thing. I always thought it got out of Worth circus. The circus had been up there under the bridge on the flat. And it it was after that had gone that the Panther started being seen. And I always thought it got out of that because there was a fella came down here from the circus. He thought he was a smart ass. He, He was having a look around. He was looking for something, but he wouldn't say what. And that's what made me think all the more, yeah, that got out of the circus and he was looking for it, but he wouldn't say. He said, had you seen anything strange about down here? It was here for about 12 months after the the circus had gone. And then all of a sudden it just disappeared. Whether it found a mate or not and went off, I don't know. I like animals. and. They was always going down around the railway line shooting, you know, anything they could move. I just let it be because I thought some of these smart asses would go and shoot it. I think that's a one-off. I've heard of them being down too in the National Park and that down there, but never ever heard of them about here. We never, never even told friends of that about it, but Jeff's seen it and then because, like, he lives on one hill here and I live on the other and the quarry goes down past over from me and then Jeff could see it off his veranda. Then all of a sudden it sort of disappeared and we never seen it no more. Ruth and Jeff would have seen it too because from their place, they was looking over at the side of the quarry and you could see it when it would walk down there. But I still say that's where it came from. I've always said it came from that circus.
0: Years after the panther ollie claimed to see disappeared, Jeff and his wife Ruth, who live next door, saw exactly the same thing strolling across their paddock.
3: Well, we were we were sitting down having lunch because we're, we're just on the outskirts of Goulburn. We've got we own twenty acres where we live. A lot of it's got bush around it, and it just came up out of the bush. And we were watching it, where we were sitting at the bench, and she raced in. She'll never take a photo of that. So she raced in and. and Uh, he got up and I thought, well, going to get away on her. But she was lucky. She got in and got a couple of shots, uh, which which actually they published. So they were reasonably good shots. It went in papers all over the place. It it was much bigger than a feral cat. It was bigger than an Alsatian dog, but it was smaller than a Sheltman pony. It was a big bugger. There's no doubt about that. I know of at least four or five people in Goulburn that have seen the same one. And it was soon after we saw it a friend of mine was walking his dog just near the War Memorial and his dog went crazy one morning and this was about only a day or two days after we saw it and his dog went crazy and the dog had the the panther bailed up in the people's backyard as he said i was only about 20 meters from it well the dog dog didn't get it but he got over the, the the panther got over the fence but kevin just straight out he just said No one's going to bullshit to you about this bloody panther, mate. He said, I've just seen it. He was dead set that it was the same panther. Our next door neighbour, she had sheep, had their throats chopped out and killed both of them. And the sheep that she had are what they call Dorpers, and they're a fairly big sheep. They're more than a normal sized sheep. And we left the the carcass in in the yard for three days, hoping that it would come back, but it never ever did. So we had we had to, we had to shift the carcasses in because they were starting to rot. Channel Seven came up. They spent quite a long time here with us. We had people in us from all over the bloody world. Two people rang from England because I talked to them. But we had probably four or five overseas calls. One bloke wanted to come out. He wanted he wanted to come out here regardless and talk to us. Yeah, but he never did because I turned him off. I said, look, mate. I said I'm just getting ridden." bloody nuts with this i don't want any more of it thanks as much as i appreciate your phone call and um, he said oh he said you know i'm i'm a fanatic for this sort of thing he said i like to come and do it and i said look i i'm sorry i can't so i didn't he, he never came out. honestly we, we started to get selective with the phone calls we had to yeah we didn't want everybody tom dick and harry coming out here with the shotguns and that's exactly what would have happened and I just tell, tell people, no, 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 we don't know anything about it. These bloody people, are, there's, there's plenty of cowboys around. Well, when you explained who you were, I knew that it wasn't some bloody hillbilly uh, with a shotgun looking to see if they could come. Yeah, when you explained who you were, I was quite happy to stop and talk to you. Channel 7, they, they just rang and said, we're here. They didn't say, you know, can we come? They just said, we're here. And I thought, you too. But at least, at least, four other people, and they're people that I knew or know, they all said that they got away from one of the circuses when the circuses were in town. Well, if there was a couple of them, they could have started to breed. Anyone that thinks a feral cat is as big as this bloody panther, <laughs> no way. They'd want to magnify a feral cat a lot of times, an awful lot of times.
0: I was able to get an ad placed in a circus magazine called Fanfare. This allowed me to reach out directly to ex-staff members and owners of the circuses. I was contacted by Robert Perry, whose family have owned and operated the Perry Brothers Circuses since the early 1800s. Robert just wanted to pass on a few stories of escapes from the Perry Brothers Circuses that had been handed down to him over the years. This is what Robert had to say.
10: They might be able the original Perrys. The four brothers, Albie, Dummy, Jimmy and Teddy, and, and three sisters. The original Perry's ended in 1947. And I remember him saying it, you know, it's a long while ago. He told me later on that he he thinks one got out around Glen Innes somewhere. He think he said that they could have escaped. He was talking about a like pedestrian he was talking about. I know it was in the Glen Innes area at the time. Now we're talking back in the 1930s. We show we used to show Glenn in this, we showed her quite a lot. Like twenty five well well after the really panther family got out. And then I'll have a different time we've been talking about the Emerald Panther. Uh, something about Emerald and that Panther or something she could have got out from the surface there. where he said it could have been one of Perry's. I heard him say it, you know. You know, you hear these things out you, and um, I suppose anything's possible. I had another one you might have brought up, at Enverell. Enverell on my, on my birthday, which was the 3rd of April, 1942. On the 2nd of April, during um, the war, they had a transporter, was carrying the tigers and a mandrel. Anyway, the truck tipped over. The bloke was drunk, I believe, the, the local carrier. And the uh, tiger got out and ate the mandrel, killed the mandrel. And then the um, police came up and shot the tiger. In 1966, we were going up north I don't know where you know the Gutsalunga Railway Crossing. Yeah, anyway, it's just uh, south, I think, it's well south of Townsville, and a train hit one of our trailers and two monkeys got out, would you believe, a male and a female. Anyway, Animal Quarantine said, well, if you don't get them, we'll put in a professional animal catcher. He could be there for about five years. So we sent down two blacks on the circus, I was uh, there for about a week. Anyway, they caught one and the acorn didn't worry about it Then once they got the male one so there could be no bruins.
0: When I put the word out that I was looking for information on circus and zoo escapes, I received quite a number of calls from one particular area west of Sydney. Around Warrangamba and Molgoa, there's been more than one zoo over the years and all of them housing quite a few big cats. Megan, who grew up in the area and lived alongside one of the zoos, saw something on her way home from work one night.
7: About 14 or 15 years ago, and I was a nunny for a family in Cobbity, and they had a private road that they shared that linked up between the back of Cobbity and the back of Greendale, which certainly near up. Coming home from, from work, and it would have been about 6 o'clock, I think. It would have been, like, quite late. As you sort of, you know, wind down, it kind of goes down into a little bit of a, a dip, and then you've got to drive back up, and then there's a top gate to let you back out onto the main public road. And driving up and stopped my car, and I was just about to get out of the car to open the gate, and just as I glance, obviously, to open my door to the left of me, there's, you know, bushes and things... And I saw these two yellow eyes and the face of a face of a very large cat. And then all of a sudden it obviously saw me and ran. And then I just saw its huge long tail dive into the bushes. And I was like, what was that? <laughs> At this stage I was like, I'm not getting out. What if it comes and attacks me or something? And he couldn't have turned around like a U-turn where I was. You know, I sort of got up the carriage and and jumped out of the car, opened the gate, sped through, and then I had to shut the gate again. I wish dash cam was a thing then, because it would have been caught on dash cam for sure. It was more than just like, you know, a a bigger cat. It was the size of a panther. It was huge.
0: Growing up next door to the Warren Gamble Lion Park... Megan remembers sneaking over the fence a few times so her and her friends could get a glimpse of some exotic wildlife.
7: I so said the lion park had been closed for years. They still had the lions living there, so we used to go in and try and look at them. And we used to get bloody chased by buffaloes. Obviously, my parents lived just um, opposite where the lion safari was. You could hear the lions roaring at night and things as well, and it was pretty cool growing up there, to not but yeah, they could, I suppose, they could, you know, kids or anyone could have gone in there
0: and climbed that bigger cyclone fence and, and then got in. Late one night in August of 1995, some teenagers took to the fence of Gamble Lion Park with some snips, cutting out a hole big enough for kids to get in, but also big enough for big cats to get out. That night, a local detective received a call to attend a lion wandering the streets. The detective, somewhat humoured about the call, soon realised this wasn't a hoax when a lioness walked right out in front of his patrol car. The hungry lioness then scaled a residential fence to address her appetite, which unfortunately happened to be Boffin, the family's pet border collie. Megan shares what she remembers about the night of the escape.
7: They escaped and actually mauled and killed the poor dog. We were all, we were like, gee, the lion's allowed tonight, you know, because it's you didn't think anything of it living there. You always heard the morning you know, overnight. Yeah. So you didn't we didn't really think anything of it. And I remember mum saying, God, the dogs are going off tonight, you know, all the dogs were barking and and, and it was really windy, I'm pretty sure, that night too and I kinda of didn't really think anything of it and then the next morning we got the news that they'd escaped and killed a dog and then from memory I think they had to well they shot the lion.
0: I managed to get in touch with Craig Bullen to see what he remembers about the night of the lion escape. Craig's family have a long history of owning and operating the Bullen Circuses as well as drive through lion parks and zoos all over the country. Although at this time the Warren Lion Park was out of operation, Craig's family still owned the park and looked after the animals inside. Craig remembers the night of the break-in well and was only too happy to share it with me.
6: I remember it as plain as day. Five got out, we shot one, and we caught the other four. Okay, there's nothing in the media about the that four that, that we caught. What a great job. All there was was, oh, that poor line that got shot because only... And and then it was shot because the situation where the, the line had got itself into, you know, you're starting to talk about people's safety. There, there, there's so many things that, unfortunately the safest thing was to put that line down. The, the, the fence to the compounds, it was cut. It was a, it, and whether it was done that night or the night before, we really don't know as much as, as we would check our boundary fences. We got a familiar vehicle that they associated food with. You know, it's not rocket science, even though it was 2 o'clock in the morning. We got a familiar vehicle with meat in the back of it, and those cats know the sound of that vehicle. They know what it looks like. It's 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 ingrained in them because that's what they associate every bit of food they've ever had in their life with that vehicle. And we said, "Come on, guys, let's go, let's go." And they followed us over. We we actually put them back through the cut in the fence. Unfortunately, the circumstances how it was, we didn't want to shoot it, but you know, there's so many other uh, other aspects in play, and it's just unfortunate. As I said, Ben, we've had all sorts of stuff escape, and, you know, they've been escaped for at least half an hour. We've had situations where, you know, someone's left the door open, you know, you're only as good as your staff sometimes, and the cat's gotten out, and it's been between the safety fence and its enclosure, but it's still got a safety fence in front of it, and it's all intensive purposes that animal still thought it was in its cage you know we've had a couple of those instances over the years we've had we've we've had big cats actually get out and go for a walk around then over the years we've had um, animals escape whatever whatever we we've had everything at some point most zoos have had something get out at some point. Those animals are looking to get back into their cage. They want to go back to their sanctuary where they know they're safe. They don't want to be out in the big, scary world. They want to get back to something that's familiar. And, you know, anything that perceived as being dangerous, the animal is going to attack, it's going to do this and that, it's actually a fear reaction, I think. It just wants to get back to where... It, it knows normality where it's comfortable. I.e., that's why we bought the the, 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 the truck that they they, they used to get in their food from to try and get some familiarity back to them so they can go, oh, hang on, things can't be too bad. Here's our meat truck. Hmm. It, it's an experience thing, you know. You don't read it in a book, but you just know this stuff and know how captive animals think. The lion, the, the one that did get shot, Grab the pet dog. That's a very normal behaviour for a big cat. You walk a dog on a lead past any big cat cage, the cat's going to look at that dog as dinner. It's little, it's moving, you know. That's that prey instinct that you you, you don't breed out of animals like that. It's always sad when when there's an animal that you've had generations of of its parents and, and stuff. You know, it's yeah, it's always sad when when something like that dies.
0: Mel grew up in the area and remembers a separate incident of an escape that her and her classmate still talk about to this day.
4: All of us kids obviously asking what's going on, what's going on, and they just said we're in lockdown, there is a lion in the schoolyards. Mm-hmm. Us kids were so eager to get up and look out the window because we wanted to see the lion. And I just remember the teachers locking us down, like we weren't allowed to go out of the classrooms they let us look up in the window I was down in the bottom classrooms and you could see out the window where the lion was walking up and down the back school fence line he was on the inside he was actually in the school grounds I do remember like clear as day him the blind walking up and down the fence line and then turning and coming towards the, the the classroom basically the quad area I remember seeing the zebra car come into the school like drive into the school and then, and then that's when it was gone. And we were safe, we walked out of the school, we walked home, and there was more excitement than anything. Like, it's not something that every kid sees every day, a lion walking through the schoolyard.
0: Michelle, an ex-staff member of the zoo, tells me a story of coming face-to-face with what she claims to be a lion on her property, long before the break-in at Warren Gamble Lion Park.
1: I worked at the African Lion Society for three years. I lived on 60 acres and it backs onto the Blue Mountains. On our side is Warragamba and all that. And I thought it was really strange that we had heaps of kangaroos, you know. used to skip through our properties and everything. And they all disappeared and I thought, oh, well, they must have migrated somewhere else. That's That's what I thought until I seen this lion at first I thought. You know, it was a, a jersey calf. And then when I and then when I turned around and looked and seen the mane, I thought, well, that's a lion. It was definitely a lion. But it was really, it wasn't a, a fit lion. It was weak. It was very weak and um, thin. You'd see the bones on the back of its rump. And it was an old lion. It wasn't a young lion. So maybe that's why it didn't attack, because it was probably looking at me as if to say, give me something to eat. And just kept staring, so I just kept my eye straight on its eyes and just slowly moved backwards up the steps. I got inside and then I, I went to grab the phone and then I thought, oh, i get my camera and take a photo because no one's going to believe me. And by the time I grabbed my camera and went out there, it was gone. From then on in, I was pretty scared because I didn't know if it had come back.
0: I began to look into another zoo in the same region of Western Sydney which for years has been surrounded by rumours of escapes and releases, possibly due to the high number of sightings in the surrounding bushland. This particular zoo was eventually closed under the Exhibited Animals Protection Act for holding prescribed species without a permit. It's unclear of what happened to all of the big cats from this facility when it closed down. Some of the tigers and jaguars were sent to other zoos, some say the rest were euthanized but the true fate of the remaining big cats is still a mystery. When I began to dig around and ask questions about the zoo with ex-staff members, I was met by a strange level of fear. Many wanting to share their story with me as long as I wasn't recording and didn't use their names. These are just some of the communications, but not the actual voices.
1: The guy was a nutter. If I were you, I'd just stay away from anything to do with him. He was dangerous and well-connected, and when any of the animals entered those gates, they had no idea of the misery that lie ahead. Please don't use my name in the podcast.
6: I have no words for this man. I can't because there's just no way to explain him. People have likened him to the Tiger King, but honestly, it's more like the Tiger King times ten. If you do anything about him, just make sure you approach with caution. I can't sugarcoat the man. He was a maniac with power.
8: Although working there was a great period in my life, it was a dark period for the animals. That's my only comment. I'm not interested in your podcast, do not mention my name and don't call or email
0: me again. The more people who tried to turn me off exploring this dark alley, the more curious I became. Eventually, I was able to get in contact with an ex-staff member. Gary worked at the zoo for quite some time and was more than happy to tell his story. Gary shares his experience not only with the animals in the zoo, but also the extremely wealthy and eccentric owner.
11: He was an egomaniac. He just wanted to brag. He used to try and present himself as as someone that that cared about the animals, and, and he didn't. The way he was feeding them, that's if they got feed, um, because there were times when, when they didn't get food. Um, as I said to you, I've, I've never been so disgusted in my life um, with the way all, and not just the big cats, it was all the animals. He used to take business associates out to the, the property and it'd be, look what I've got. And he'd be quite cavalier with the way he'd present animals. I was never comfortable with what he was doing. I know that there were there were two black panthers when I was there, um, male and female. I know he had three or four mountain lions. There were times when I was there that animals were gone, and it was oh, I've sold that one on, and it'd be well who moved it, you know. I suspect it was private owners. I, I never saw any of the any of the freight manifests. He was very, very um, cagey when it came to paperwork. We were never allowed to to talk to um, any officials. You know, we'll put to work. Oh, here you go do the gardens. Or mysteriously, half a ton of carcasses would turn up. We'd be told to feed the animals. All inquiries would have be referred to him. When inquiries started being made, um, and bear in mind he couldn't resell these animals to to circuses because circuses were shut down as far as wild animals were concerned. And the only other way was through his network of you know rich seedy mates. Some of the characters I saw there. Like I wouldn't trust a roadkill with them, you know, absolutely shady. He didn't regulate and didn't document any any breedings or interbreeding. And the enclosures were very, very basic, very rudimental. They were concrete floors, you know, maybe a little bit of hay or some blankets thrown in there, Um, you know, a a watering trough and a, a, a feed bucket or a feed box. Taronga Zoo said that uh, they thought all the animals out there should be put down. Now there were 15 to 20 big cats and and we're not talking like your ocelots and bobcats, we're talking big cats, tigers, lions, panthers, jaguars, leopards, the whole lot. So I treated the cats with the utmost respect because uh, they were continually on edge. We had... We had cattle prods there, so the electric prods, to to keep them uh, under control or at least away from us. But most of the enclosures, instead of being swept out and cleaned out as a vacant enclosure, they were just hosed. It was the safest way to do it. Because especially some of the big males, they they would charge at, at, at the gates. And with the big cats, because uh, because they have like a two metre stride, uh, they they take one step and they're at the end of their enclosure. And they've got to turn around, do a half step, and then uh, another one step, and they're back to to their bedding. It was that small. So I, I saw too much stuff that was wrong. So there was no genuine concern for the animals. If you had no genuine concern for the animals, then we were paid to look after them, to clean up after them, and to feed them and all that he had even less concern for us. There was one female black panther, and she'd obviously been raised by humans because she was quite approachable, but she was extremely malnourished. And I believe one, either one of the panthers or one of the leopards got to her and and, and, and impregnated her. She was showing big time in the belly. Um, her teats were full of milk, um, and she was uh, she was getting ready to uh, to, uh, to lay out a litter. She disappeared overnight. And she was close to birth, and she went. And it, all we got told was, oh, she's been moved on to another uh, to another facility. And it's well, what facility? Because none of the zoos would buy off him because there were no veterinary records. And so to say whether they were disease free, and it's well, why weren't we told that? We because we're we're supposed to get them prepared. Even to move animals between enclosures for, for breeding purposes is a major fucking operation, and, and and he was too tight to pay for major operations. Wouldn't it be done under sedation? Um, wouldn't it already be prepared for a travel cage? And what I do know is that uh, when the government did go in there, there were discrepancies in in the logbooks or the, the the manifest the animal manifest whatever it was that they were looking at i never ever got an answer like a, a, a direct answer as to what happened to to that female ever it was it, it's been moved along now whether whether he released any knowing the type of bloke that he is i, I would say yes he would have and he would have released the worst cases. If he was releasing any animals, I, I think it was first and foremost vanity. You know, he didn't want people to, to see that there were mistreated animals. My, my firm belief, I'm a, I'm a 100% believer. I, I don't have any doubt now that that there is quite a sizeable contingent of big cats that have been released and have probably bred. And the the reasoning I use is you've only got to look at some of those uh, safari tours you can go on in South Africa and that. The, the only guaranteed way of seeing a big cat in any of those places is to go to a private sanctuary. I see holes in the argument that there are no big cats. I, I, I see massive holes in, in in that. No, there's none. You've even got people from national parks and wildlife who've witnessed this. I'm not one to doubt, you know, if someone says, oh, like, like my mate Boris, that and, and he's not one for flights of fancy, he swears to God that he saw a panther on the putty road until they come up with definitive evidence that there isn't big cats running wild in Australia. I'll keep believing what I believe.
0: Not far up the road from the old zoo district just west of Sydney, something jumped in front of Diana's car that she'll never forget.
5: Yeah, I was picking up my son from Kung Fu on oh, probably about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. It was just getting dusk it was summertime and um, Mulgol Road I think you're probably, if you're aware of it it was quite wide even before the expansion just where the old Browell bridge was and this cat jumped, this big black cat, it it just couldn't be a cat, it jumped from two and a quarter lanes to the median strip and then straight in front of me to the other side it was like impossible, it had to be a panther, It it was huge, it was black definitely not a a, a domestic or a feral there's no way in the world it was far too big and it was so agile um i was absolutely in shock (laughs) it looked like a leopard but it was black so is it fairly long bodied fairly long tail put a picture of a black panther in front of you maybe it it looked like that I, i know what i saw I know what I saw, you know, I'm a fairly rational person. There used to be a private zoo, like a, a rich person who had a private zoo around, the story was that, um, that there were some escapees. I was just really shocked, and I was very disappointed I never saw it again.
0: When hundreds of sightings from a particular area are reported to government departments, they are then forced to investigate. Quite often there is no authority on exotic wildlife in these departments, so it's common they reach out externally to various experts who have more experience than them. This allows them to produce a report which is much more well-informed, but what if the evaluation from that expert doesn't follow their narrative?
3: I became the cat specialist because well, I, I knew much more about it than most Australians because I worked in Asia for probably twenty years. And, uh, and so actually I probably do know what I'm talking about. Their major uh motivation was really to not find anything. And uh and all the all the documents they produce are heavily doctored and censored and uh you said we don't get much truth in that place. Some, something abstracted up, these goats up on the tree, really, and, uh, and I think what comes to mind
2: is a leopard. I don't find it surprising that they didn't want to promote that document. Yeah.
0: If you're enjoying Missing Panther so far, please tell a friend about it and make sure you subscribe to keep updated on each episode. If you'd like to support the show to help us continue this investigation, go to our website, missingpanther.com.au. Hit the About button, scroll down and follow the prompts to forward your much appreciated donation. If you believe you've seen a panther or a big cat, or even if you believe you know how they got here, go to our website, missingpanther.com.au. Get us through the contact page. I just wanted to give a shout out to Mick and his team at Yarra Valley Big Cat Beer in Victoria. These brewers love the stories of Big Cat sightings across Australia so much that they created the perfect line of craft beers to pay homage to this ongoing mystery. You can order some of this delicious range at yvbcbc.com. That's Yarra Valley Big Cat Beer. Get stuck into it. And again, if you're a fan of Big Cat stories, don't forget to get onto the podcast Big Cat Conversations with Rick Minter in the UK. And if you haven't seen it yet, make sure you tune in to a great Aussie documentary called The Hunt. You can find it on Discovery's On Demand channel inside the Foxtel app. It's about now I need to give a special thanks to Travis Hanley, who's not only one of my film school lecturers, but has become somewhat of a mentor throughout this journey and continues to guide me along the way with his wisdom and knowledge in the world of storytelling. Trav planted the seed for me to pursue this podcast, and I continue to hope it wasn't because of my lack of talent around a video camera. And a special thanks to Craig and Zaley Bullen from Animals All Around and also to Robert Perry for sharing their insight into the wonderful and sometimes unpredictable world of owning exotic wildlife. Missing Panther is edited and narrated by me, Ben Bede. Music is by Warwick Party. Mastering by Paul Gomisol. Voiceovers by Benny Brophy, Mirna, and Maddie Glenn.